Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. When we read through the Bible, we find so many different stories and descriptions of, of real-life situations. We read about actual things that happened. And even though Paul is writing a letter to Timothy and trying to give him instruction about what to do, things to think about, principles to keep a hold of, he opens up a little bit here in chapter number four about his own personal situation. And he's describing some of the things that he's going through. And as we read about some of these passages, we can find that, you know what, these individuals went through some of the things that we went through. When you read about some of the incidents in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you find yourself looking at them thinking, you know what, that's something that I went through. I had a friend that abandoned me. He was faithful with me in the ministry. We served together in the church, and then he departed for some other reason, and he went off into the world, and, and he was doing his own thing, and he left the service of the Lord, or uh, you know, all different sorts of situations. In, in the time of Paul, he lived in a time when the government was oppressive to the faith. It was opposed to the Christian faith and opposed to the word of God and opposed to Jesus Christ. And, and all around the world, people face very similar and identical situations to what Paul is facing. And when you see that, oh, Paul faced something like this. Peter and John, they also faced persecution. I can take some of those lessons and apply them to my life today. Fortunately, we live here in America. We have uh, fairly good freedoms here to preach the word of God, to worship God, uh, to spread the gospel, but you never know. We don't know what will happen in America in the years to come. We also know that uh, Paul, he lived in a time when he was falsely imprisoned. People lied about him. He had times when people would uh, form mobs and violently take people from their homes. He, he faced a lot of persecution, a lot of difficulty, a lot of problems. And these passages are given to us so that we might ask and answer the question, how do we handle these situations in our own lives? Because each of you have your own problems and situations and difficulties in your life. You have relationship issues, you have spiritual issues, you might have emotional issues, you might have financial issues. And, and one of the incidents that we took a look at here in 2 Timothy is Demas. Demas forsook Paul. He was there faithfully serving alongside of Paul. And for whatever reason, there in Rome, he was serving. And then he decided, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not serving him anymore. I'm not coming to church. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not preaching the Bible. I'm not doing any of these things. And he left and he went to Thessalonica. And Paul writes about that earlier in chapter number four. In verse number 16, he actually further elaborates and says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Now he's not just saying, well, Demas wasn't there when I needed him. Nobody was there when I needed them. I was there all by myself. I was all there in the Roman prison, in the Roman court, and, and, and facing all of these things all by myself. And though there were times when no one stood by Paul, Paul wrote these verses to let us know, to remind us, to remind Timothy that even when no one else is with us, there is always somebody that you and I as Christians can depend upon, and that is the Lord. Paul found that Demas might forsake me. Other people might leave me for different ministry reasons, but I know that I can fully depend on God because God will always be there. Because people will come and go. Even good people will come and go. 
people will come and go for different reasons. Some people will go for bad reasons, but some people will go for good reasons. Some people will leave because God has sent them to a new place. We just think about Paul. Paul was there in the city of Antioch serving and ministering and preaching and teaching, and God called him to go and preach the gospel and be a missionary and plant churches and reach the lost with the, uh, with, with the gospel so that they might be saved. And so Paul had to leave the church, but he left for a good reason. You always want to leave for a good reason. Amen? If you're going to move from where you are right now, you always want to leave with a good reason. You want to leave with a reason that is from the Lord. So people might come and go for good or bad reasons. Situations can come and go. You might be in a great situation today. You might be in a, a very difficult situation. Now, obviously, the last few years with COVID and all of that has kind of upended a lot of people's lives. Some people are in a more comfortable situation. Financially, they're more comfortable. Their work situation is more comfortable. You know, they're able to work from home. Some of those things are great. Others, a little bit more difficult. And so you might have some different situations, but those situations will come and go. Trials will come and go. People will come and go. But God is always there. And when Paul was faced with a very tough situation, he learned to look to the Lord and to lean on the Lord. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the presence of the Lord. That's what we're talking about today. In verse number 17, he says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. He knew that God was there for him. So this morning, I want to take a look at a few principles regarding the presence of God in our lives. First of all, we see that God's presence is personal. The presence of God is personal. In verse number 17, it says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. So Demas had left Paul for carnal reasons. Others had left Paul for different reasons. Alexander had opposed Paul and caused much evil. We read about that in some of the uh, earlier verses in weeks past. And, and it seemed like nobody was standing with Paul. Paul was standing there in the courtroom all by himself. And an outside observer might look at the situation and think, he has no lawyer, he has no defender, he has no supporters. He's there all by himself. But Paul here knew that he was not alone. He knew that God was with him and that he had the presence of God. Now, it's wonderful to have friends in ministry. Amen? That's one of the important things about a church. I think with the whole last two years and Zoom and all of that, you know, some new ideas came into people's minds. But it's very, very important that we have friends in ministry, that we come together, we meet together, we talk together, we serve together, we sing together, all of these things. It's so important, so helpful, and so vital. God says, I will build my church. He has placed a great significance upon the church and the body of believers that we ought to be together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. All of these things. It's wonderful to have friends in ministry. I'm encouraged when I come on a Sunday morning and I'm able to see other believers. We're able to sing together together. We're able to, you know, hear from God's word together. Those are wonderful things, but it's more important to have God here with us. It's one thing for us to gather together. It's another thing to make sure that God is here. Amen. We've got to make sure that God is here, that you have the presence of God. We're not just here as a social gathering to hang out with our friends to just catch up and see how we're doing. That's not why we are here. Not primarily why we are here. We are here because 
We need the presence of the Lord. We need to have God with us. And the relationship that you have with God must be personal. You must have this personal relationship with God. When it comes to salvation, salvation is personal. You must be saved. You must have your sins to be forgiven. You need to have that very personal, individual relationship with God. Because your relationship with God is your relationship. It cannot be duplicated, it cannot be copied, and it cannot be borrowed. You must have your own personal relationship with God. Psalm 23 is a passage that many are familiar with. And it, it begins with, the Lord is my shepherd, right? We, uh, you, you know, you all might know about this. And even if you've never been to church before, you might have heard some of these verses at different times and different places and things like that. But you, you have to think about this principle of, here is David, he's writing, the Lord is my shepherd, okay? So shepherds watch sheep, right? I mean, that's obvious, right? But shepherds, you ever see a flock of one sheep and a shepherd is watching one sheep? You ever just see a shepherd out in the field just watching one sheep? You don't ever see that. What do you see? You see a shepherd watching a bunch of sheep, right? A huge flock, dozens of sheep, hundreds of sheep. I don't know, do they have flocks of thousands of sheep? I have no idea. But you have this flock of sheep, huge number, hundreds of sheep together, being watched by a single shepherd. But I want you to notice the very personal nature that David writes about his shepherd. Because David was a shepherd. He knows what it's like to shepherd sheep. He knows what it's like to be the shepherd. And as a sheep, following the Lord, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, you notice the very personal relationship that he has. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, I shall not want. Notice he doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't just say, we shall not want. He says, I shall not want. In verse number two, he says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. He doesn't say, he maketh us to lie down in green pastures. He says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Do you notice the very personal relationship that David has with the shepherd? Do you notice how he says, you know what? I don't fear because I know that my shepherd is with me. I know that he will take care of me. I know that he is here with me. I know that he is going to uh, protect me when I need protection. There's a very personal relationship that he has with God. And he knew that the presence of God was there with him. It's a very individual thing. The presence of God is personal. I remember one time years ago when I was helping in a youth group. I wasn't the youth director. I was just a member of the church helping. And uh, the youth director asked me to help serve in the youth group with the teenagers. So I said, okay, and I, I was helping with the teenagers, and uh, we would have a monthly activity. We would go out and do a bunch of different things. We would go here and there, and sometimes it was just very silly, simple things. But one of these activities was we went to a baseball game. So we went to a baseball game. We were up in Seattle, so we went to the Seattle Mariners baseball game. 
this was back when they were good. And uh, so anyway, we, were, we went to this baseball game. And uh, so we had a bunch of teenagers. There was like 15 of us, 15 teenagers. The youth director and his wife was there. I was there as well. So, you know, there's a bunch of us there. There's maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 of us total. So we, we, we have this big old van, and we get over to the parking lot where the stadium is. And we all get out. And as we get out, the youth director hands everybody a ticket right? Here's your ticket, here's your ticket, here's your ticket as we get out of the van. So we've all got our tickets, right? So we put them in our pockets or whatever, and uh, we're walking to the stadium. So we walk over to the stadium, and you get to the gate, and uh, as you get into the gate, of course, you know, the agent is there, and you hand them your ticket, they scan the ticket, and you walk in, all right? So we're, we're walking in, some of the teenagers are ahead of me, and so they begin to go in, and as we go in, I hear somebody behind us saying, I don't have a ticket. And we turned around, and one of the teenage girls said, I don't have a ticket. And the youth director was like, what are you talking about? I gave you a ticket. I gave you a ticket as soon as we got out of the van. She said, I don't, I don't have a ticket. What happened to the ticket? I don't know. It was like, well, I gave you a ticket. She said, I don't have it. Did you check your pockets? Yeah, it's not in my pockets. Is it in your purse? I checked my purse. It's not in my purse. We are like, well, okay. Well, it's very fortunate for you. We had somebody bail out at the very last second, so I just so happened to have an extra ticket here that we didn't know what to do with, and I brought it here. So here, you can have your ticket. Later, we found out that apparently she dropped the ticket. Somebody picked up the ticket and gave it to like a homeless guy, and we had like a homeless guy sitting in the middle of our youth group there in the baseball game. Anyway, it was a very unique, interesting situation. He found some friends over in the next section, and they had a good old time over there. But anyway, we were like, oh, that's where your ticket went. Okay. Okay. Anyway, the point is this. The point is that you need to have your own ticket. Okay? You can't borrow a ticket. You can't share a ticket. You've got to have your own ticket. You want to get into the game? You got to have your own ticket. Same thing with heaven. You want to get into heaven? You got to have your own ticket. You must be saved. You must have Jesus Christ to be your savior. But the presence of God is also very personal as well. The presence of God is personal. You've got to have your own ticket. We've got to, you know, when we gather together, we pray that God's presence will be here for us together but personally, you need to have the presence of God with you. For instance, when I preach the word of God or whoever's up here preaching the word of God, we preach the word of God, but there's something very individual about God speaking to his own children individually. I've given this illustration before about how God called me into ministry. I went to church on a Wednesday night, was sitting there in the very back. I was there all by myself. The pastor was preaching, preached nothing about surrendering to ministry, but God spoke to my heart about, hey, you've never surrendered your life to me. And I, the message was completely unrelated, but I knew that God was speaking to my heart. I knew that God was speaking something individually to me. I knew he wasn't speaking to all of us because the pastor wasn't preaching on that. But God was speaking to me about surrendering my life to him and that was very individual. That was very personal. And we need to have that very personal presence of God. So when you get saved, of course, we know that God lives within you. Amen? The Holy Spirit dwells within every single believer. So when we're talking about the presence of God, that's not what we're talking about here today, at least. We're not talking about if you're saved, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because once you're saved, God seals you with the Holy Spirit and gives you the earnest of his salvation, which is the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit with you. 
but you can be separated from the presence of God in a very practical sense of God is not there with you, he's not helping you, he's not speaking to you, he's not doing something for you. So what would separate us from the presence of God is our sin. Isaiah chapter 59, verse number 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So we must have a pure, clean life. That's why your sin matters. We might feel like, oh, everything in the church is okay. Seems like Pastor Choi is doing great. Seems the Life Connection teachers are doing great. All of these things are great. But you know that you have your own personal sin in your life, and you feel like, you know what, but that, that's okay. That's my sin. Everybody else seems to be doing okay. But God says, your sin will separate you from me, and I cannot work for you, and you need to have the presence of God in your own life. Okay? So God's presence, number one, is personal. We also see that God's presence is powerful. That's what's very important and vital about the presence of God. As Paul was going through this very difficult situation, he needed to know that God was not just there with him, but that God could do something about it. In verse number 17, it says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. When Demas left, he was all there by himself. Everybody else was gone. But Paul knew that God was there and that his strength and his power was there, that he would have the ability to do whatever it is that he needed to do because God would enable him to do it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. When God says, I am going to be with you, what he is doing is he's saying, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to help you. Amen? If God is there with you, he's going to help you. When Paul felt weak, he knew that he would have to depend upon God and that he could depend upon the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about he had this infirmity in the flesh, and he asked God to take it away, and the Lord said, no, I will not take it away, for my grace is sufficient for thee. And it says there, in verses number 9 and 10, it says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And in verse number 10, it says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. It's good for us to have moments where we feel weak, okay? It sounds counterintuitive, but spiritually, it's good for us to have moments when we feel weak. We're always sad when we have a friend that leaves and goes somewhere else, but those are the moments when we can learn to know, you know what? My faith is not dependent upon my friend. My faith is dependent upon God, and God is sufficient. God is enough. God is all that I need. And that's what Paul had learned in this situation as well, that God's presence was sufficient because God was powerful enough to deal with whatever it is that he was going to face. And God's power and presence is enough for whatever you're going to face. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12, he says, I thank, God, uh, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. If God has called you to a particular service a particular ministry, something to do for the Lord, God will enable you to do it. That's what he says there. He hath enabled me, putting me in the ministry. So if God calls you to something, he will go with you and he will enable you to do it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Here, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he says, you're going to face some obstacles in your life. You're going to face some battles. You're going to face some opposition. You're going to face some persecution. You need to be able to stand. And he says there in verse number 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When we depend upon the presence of God to bring his power, then we are able to stand. And of course, we know in Philippians chapter 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. No matter what it is that you face, God is able to help you to do it. So we know that God's presence is personal. You've got to know that God is with you. And when God is with you, then his power comes with you. But thirdly, what we see is that God's presence is purposeful. Okay. So, we know that God was with Paul. We know that God strengthened Paul. But why was God even with Paul? Right? And why would God come with us? Why would God be here in this church? Why would God go with you? Or why would God go with me? Because God is not obligated to be with us. God is not obligated to give his strength to us. So why did he give his strength to Paul? Well, it's obvious that God had a reason why he went with Paul, and why he strengthened Paul. In verse number 17, the purpose given here is the purpose of the gospel. So God went with Paul, and he strengthened Paul because he sent Paul on the mission of the gospel. In verse number 17, it says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me... The preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. So God's purpose was that the Gentiles would hear the gospel and be saved. Amen? Right? That's why we're here today. We are here today because God desires that all men would be saved. And he knew, Paul knew, that his calling was a part of that ministry. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So God's presence was given to Paul. His power was given to Paul because Paul was following God's will. All right. This is where the practical aspect of the will of God for your life. Because if you follow the will of God, then God goes with you and he enables you to do it because he's the one that called you. We see this generally explained in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18. He says, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All right. I'm going to tell you what to do. Verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So here is Jesus. He's saying, I am the Lord. I'm telling you what to do. Here's what you do. You go, you preach the gospel, you start churches, you disciple them so that they would, you know, follow the commands of the Bible, and they will go and start other churches as well. That's what I'm telling you to do. And at the very end of that, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus says, I'm going with you because this is my idea. Jesus is saying, my idea is you go and you preach the gospel. You start churches. You participate in churches. You teach the word of God in the churches. You raise up people so that they will go and tell other people as well. This is my idea. Now, 
if you go with your idea, God says, well, that's your idea. You go by yourself, all right? You go and do it. But if you're going to do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to go with you. So that's where, on a practical level, if you want the presence of God, you've got to go God's way. You've got to follow God. You want the presence of God? Follow him. When you follow him, God will be there. But there's another thing that's here that's very important. The purpose, not just of the gospel, but of his glory. At verse number 18, at the very end, it says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So if we live our lives prioritizing the pleasures of this life, money, riches, comfort, all of that, then God is not going to give his presence or power towards that. It's like asking your parents for money, right? As a kid, you ever ask your parents for money? Dad, can I have 20 bucks, right? What's the very next words that like always come out of the mouth of your dad when you ask for 20 bucks? What does he say? You had a very mean father. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Okay. Well, for compassionate fathers, <laughs> what would they say? They would say, or they would ask the question, all right, why do you need $20? Right? Dad, I need $20. Your dad's going to ask you, why do you need $20? Now, what do you say? Uh... I want to give it to God. <laughs> what do you say? Oh, I want to buy food. Oh, my friends are going out and we're going to go get dinner and I don't have any money. Can I go and have money and go buy dinner and hang out with my friends or whatever? You know, you, you have all these different things. Now, depending on your answer, all right, if your son, and not that they'd be able to do this, but oh, I want to go buy lottery tickets and, you know, go play the lottery. It'd be like, no, I'm not giving you 20 bucks for that, all right? Hopefully by, you know, you can't buy lottery tickets when you're a kid anyway, but, you know, if you, if you, if you give a nonsensical reason, a reason that your dad would be like, I'm not giving money towards that, guess what he's going to do? He's going to be like, Robbie, you must have gave it a lot of bad answers. <laughs> no, I know what you're going to say, no, <laughs> okay, right? You know, if he says, you know what, I'm not giving you 20 bucks for that, he's going to say, no. For us as Christians, our life ought to revolve around the glory of God. Now, if we go to God and we ask God, God, can you give me more money? And God asks the question, why do you need more money? And we say, well, I just want a nicer car. He might be like, uh, no. <laughs> I'm not giving you money for that. Now he might. He might give you money to say, praise the Lord. You know, here's a wonderful thing that God does for his children, and he might receive the glory in it. The point is not whether or not you get the car or not. The point is whether or not God gets the glory. God does things in order to receive the glory. So when we go to God and we ask God, God, will you go with me and will you provide for me and will you give me these things? God's going to ask you the question, why? Why should I go with you? Why should I give you that? Why should I provide for you? What's your reason? What's your purpose in all of that? And if your whole purpose is, I just want to live comfortable. I just want a better position so that my friends will respect me. I just want to be able to show off the kind of things that I'm able to do. I just want to enjoy the pleasures of this life. God's going to be like, how does that bring me glory? All right, does that bring me glory? If it's not bringing me glory, why would I give you that? 
just so that you can indulge yourself in the fleshly pleasures of this life, God's going to be like, I'm not giving you that. So the presence of God and the power of God follow the purpose of God. Here, Paul gives two of them, the gospel and the glory of God. The fourth principle that we see regarding the presence of God is that God's presence is protective. In verse number 17, at the end of the verse, it says, And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. So Paul tells Timothy that God protected him in the past, and he knew that he would protect him in the future as well. Paul was spared. So when he says, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, this is in the days of Rome, right? We're thinking about the Colosseum days. We're thinking about the gladiators, and we're thinking about Christians that were thrown into the Colosseum or other places, and lions were thrown into uh, the arena as well for entertainment purposes. And so this is the kind of situation that Paul was facing. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, God spared me. God delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. Not only that, God will deliver me from every evil work. Now, why would God deliver Paul? Why would God protect Paul? Why would God save Paul? Because Paul was following his purpose, right? What was God's purpose? God's purpose was for Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to bring glory to God, right? Those are the two reasons why Paul states God was with me and he enabled me so that I could see people to be saved and bring glory to God, all right? That's why he was there. So as Paul was arrested, God delivered him. Now, why would God deliver him? God delivered him because he says, I want more people to be saved. Amen? And so Paul is saying, you know what? God is not done with his purpose for me yet. That's why he protected me. I'm following his purpose. I'm not done with his purpose. And God's purpose is not done with me. So I'm going to keep going and keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep giving glory to God. And that's why God is going to do these things for me. Now, we don't always know exactly when that line will end. When God says, all right, my purpose with you is done. All right? Because all of us one day will have our purpose over here on earth, right? All of us will have an end one day. All of us will have an end to, the, uh, to our purpose. But the point is that if God is there with us, God is in control. All right? God is in control of the situation. Consider the life of Job. Remember Job? He was wealthy. He, had, he was respected. He was the greatest man of the East. You know, everybody looked up to him, doing really well in business. And remember Satan appeared before God and God said to him, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm going here and there, just looking around. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. But, you know, I'm just going around, looking around, just seeing what's out there. And, and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's upright. He issue with evil. He's a good man. And, and remember what Satan says? Satan says, ah, but he's just serving you because he's wealthy and you give him all of this stuff. See, if you didn't give him stuff, he would, he would curse you. And God says, no, he would not. But here, I'll let, you, I'll let you have at it. You can take everything, but don't touch his life. Don't touch his health. You can't touch Job. You can touch everything else. And we read in Job chapter 1 that his kids were taken. We see that all of his wealth was taken. Everything was gone, and he still held his integrity. Satan came back again, and God says, what are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm going here and there. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, you, you did all of this to him, and still, still, he's upright. He issued with evil. He didn't curse. And Satan says, oh, but, you know, like, you know, if you take his health, then, of course, everybody would curse you. And he says, okay, all right. Well, I'll let you, you know, take his physical health, but you can't kill him. 
you have to keep him alive. And so he had sores and, you know, and, and, and go through the rest of the book of Job. But the point is this, is that whether or not we go through these sorts of things or whether or not we're delivered like Paul was delivered, the point is that God is in control and that God can protect. And if we follow the purpose of God, then God will protect us until our purpose is done. The fifth and last principle is that God's presence is persistent. It is persistent. In verse number 18, it says, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. That's heaven. God will preserve me to heaven. First of all, we know that our salvation is secure. Amen? Once you are saved, you are always saved, right? Once you are born into the family of God, once God is your heavenly father, he is always your heavenly father. Amen? All right? I have my father here. All right? It doesn't matter what I do there is nothing I can do to change the fact that that man over there is my father. That is impossible to change. That's the same thing that is true with your spiritual life. Once you are born into the family of God, God is your heavenly father, and nothing can change that. That's wonderful, and that's true. And, but not only that, we know that God's presence can go with us persistently all the way through to the end of our lives. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 20, it says, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. We saw that verse earlier, right? God makes a promise, all right? I will go with you. Now, you ever have somebody uh, make a promise and then break the promise, right? I will be there. And then you show up there and they are not there. <laughs> and you call them up. Hey, where are you at? Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot, right? Or whatever. You know, things happen, whatnot. When God says, I will be with you, he will be with you, all right? God does not forget. God does not make mistakes. God does not double book himself, okay? All right? Because God can be anywhere, so in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number five, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All right. He's reiterating the promise again. God said, I will always be with you. And in verse number eight, a couple verses later, this is the principle or the character trait of God that we depend upon to know that God will always be there. Verse number eight, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, God does not change. Amen? Because God does not change, you can always depend upon him. Because see, people change for better or for worse. People change their mind about things. People change their priorities in life. People change their preferences, what they like, what they don't like, who they like, who they don't like. People change about how they feel about a friend. Their priorities change about what's important to them, what's not important to them, things that they allow themselves to do, things that they don't do. People change. Many times it's for good. Sometimes it's for bad. Sometimes their thinking can change. All of these things can change, but God's thinking doesn't change. God's purpose doesn't change. God's nature doesn't change. So God's presence also will not change. So here we are at the end of the year, finishing off this book, finishing off the year, thinking about the presence of God. And I want to make sure that we all think about the very personal presence of God. 
Paul knew that God was with him. And we too also need to know that God is with us, that God is with me and that God is with you.